Brazil tells a sad and sorry tale of Sam Larry, a worried bureaucrat wasting away his years in a job that is so mind-numbing he yearns of escaping into a fantasy world with the woman of his dreams. That woman then walks out of his dreams and into his real life, and wouldn't you know it, she turns out to be a terrorist hell-bent on destroying the very institution in which Sam Lowry works. It should be a marriage made in heaven, but really it's a nightmare set, not in Brazil as the title suggests, but rather, as the opening caption reads, somewhere in the 20th century. In other words, the film is set in a state of mind. Whatever about states of mind, the birth of the film was such an arduous process, its director Terry Gilliam would be forgiven for describing the whole experience as a nightmare in itself. Gilliam's career began as an animator when the Monty Python team were working for the BBC. When Python then branched out into cinema with The Holy Grail, Gilliam shared the directing duties with Terry Jones before flying solo on two features, Jabberwocky, a medieval comedy adventure, and then a terrific kids film called Time Bandits. Both films established Gilliam's incredibly unique visual tone, and very soon the Hollywood studios wanted to avail of his immense talent. Only thing was, they wanted to hire him as a director for their projects, and Gilliam wanted to direct his own script, Brazil. The studios read it, they passed, and Gilliam was back to square one. Until he got Robert De Niro on board. De Niro loved the script. In fact, De Niro loved it so much that even though he wanted a bigger role, one which Gilliam had already cast, De Niro came back and asked for another, smaller part, a cameo, just to be in the movie. Once Gilliam agreed, De Niro then called his producer buddy, Arnon Milchan, who had just completed De Niro's previous picture, Once Upon a Time in America. Milchan loved Gilliam's unique vision and decided to roll the dice. So far, so nice. But the problems began when Gilliam showed the film to Sid Sheinberg, who was then the head of Universal Studios, the Hollywood outfit who had agreed to distribute the film in the United States. Already perplexed by the content, style and tone of the film, Sheinberg was further dismayed to learn that it ran longer than the contract stipulated. Here is Gilliam explaining the situation. What do you do when you've made a film uh, and the studio then says, uh, we should change the story because it'll be more popular that way. And I said, I'm not going to change the story. You know, everybody who worked on this was making that particular story. Stories are really important. So that's the one we agreed to make. And we don't just change it because more people might want to come to the film. Uh, and so, you know, there's the studio saying, well, the film is unreleasable, unwatchable. Public statements from the studio saying this. So you can either sit back and or change the film and think about your career or you can go to war. So, Scheinberg decided to get someone else to cut the film, down from 140 minutes to 90. And then, when the cutting was finished, Scheinberg decided not to release the picture at all. And this is where Terry Gilliam went really crazy. I remember calling the next day, calling up Variety, and said, I want to take out this ad. And I want a full-page ad, and I want it bordered in a black, black border on it, like a, a funeral announcement, an obituary. And then in the middle, in just simple type, a lot of white space around. Just dear Sid Scheinberg, when are, you, when are you going to release my film Brazil? Signed, Terry Gilliam. 
In case you haven't been able to detect it, I love this film. I think it is a masterpiece. Unique, inventive, funny, exciting, romantic, intelligent, elegant. It is a display of many of the things that I crave in cinema. But I have to be honest, I also can't stand the movie. It's like a disaster picture par excellence. Not so much a head-spinning and frustrating experience as much as it is an infuriating one. One that I can't help but watch, but also switch off whenever I see it playing. For all its wild satire, it succumbs to a dispiriting view of the world. Power not only corrupts, but corrupts everything. There's simply no escaping it. Even if you retreat to the supposed safety and alleged privacy of your own mind, the bureaucratic overreach of the modern world will trap you there too. It is as if George Orwell and Franz Kafka had partaken in a seance and conjured up a phantasmagorical vision and told us that what we were watching is not fiction, but real. This is the way we are. We are living a dream, only that dream is a nightmare. And the reason why we don't wake up from it is because the reality is worse. Listen, this whole system of yours could be on fire and I couldn't even turn on a kitchen tap without filling out a 27 B stroke six bloody paperwork. <laughs> I suppose one has to expect a certain amount. Why? I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out. Wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Now they got the whole country sectioned off. You can't make a move without a form. As I said, Brazil is a strange love child of George Orwell and Franz Kafka. And in turn, Brazil has given birth to such films as... The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. The influence of Fight Club is rather apt because Brazil was produced by Arnon Milchan and Milchan was one of the producers on Fight Club. Brazil shows us why and how we delude ourselves, how we create half-truths and then double down on those little white lies, all in order to get on with other people. And then we enter into that mutually deceptive pact so as not to break the illusion. It shows that what we call group therapy can sometimes be an emotional Ponzi scheme. As Robert De Niro's character, Tuttle, gleefully says, Listen, kid, we're all in this together. Brazil, where hearts were entertaining June, we stood beneath an amber moon. And the early draft of the script had originally been titled 1984 and a half, but rather pathetically, the estate of George Orwell threatened all sorts of legal action. How's that for irony? Orwell's descendants feel that they are entitled to the copyright of the number 1984, as well as its fraction. Worse, it now seems that Orwell's grandchildren can claim ownership of an entire year, in which case the estate of Stanley Kubrick probably owns everything that happened in 2001. A lot of people wonder why it's called Brazil. The title seems surreal, as if it were some veiled indictment of Western culture, its politics, capitalism and decadence all of which cause only misery and terrorism. I think that's nonsense. For me, it's called Brazil because it's all about football, the World Cup, 
Pele, Zico, Ronaldo, I'm just kidding. It's about the stuff that the Monty Python team was always on about, the human condition, and the tragic fact that no matter how hard we try, we cannot escape ourselves. We may think we crave order, but since that construct only leads to a power that ensnares individual minds, we opt instead for anarchy, which in turn only leads to the illusion of liberty. So, with all that infuriating contradiction, visionary genius, bureaucratic aggravation and studio madness, I can only say you can have Brazil. I'm going to the beach.